Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3 p.m. to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Welcome, everyone. Uh, Thank you for being here on Saturday afternoon, and praise God for a little heat in this room, right? Um, My fingers are still a little cold, but uh, much better than last week, so... Um, we are uh, starting a new series. We, we, uh, Tom helped us kind of get started last week in 1 Corinthians, um, but we're going to spend the next maybe uh, 10-ish weeks, I think, uh, the rest of Jan, Feb, and basically through March to Easter in Corinthians, uh, looking at what um, the Apostle Paul had for a church in a place called Corinth. And the reality is uh, this is a letter to a church to a real church, uh, and a church that is, like most of us, learning how to be the church. And um, what we'll read, uh, but we should, you know, as we look and read and teach and consider it together over the next weeks and months, uh, the idea is that we should be learning how to be the church uh, and using uh, Paul's encouragements, sometimes admonishments uh, of the Corinthian church to help us uh, grow and learn. The, the challenges and the teachings of this book in the Bible are, are there to help us grow and learn uh, how, to, how to engage with one another uh, within the church, right? How to respond to differences in background and culture and all the things that we run into while we're, we're here in a room uh, that the unifying thing is Jesus, not personal preferences, not background, not you know, where we live necessarily, but, uh, but that Jesus is the thing that unifies us. And so we learn how to treat each other, how to think about leadership, how we can see others' differences not as a hindrance to unity, but as a means to grow in unity. Uh, and unity, you know, it's not, uh, as Paul will help us learn, is it's not a body made up of all arms, right? If they were all arms, it wouldn't be very good. Uh, but a unity is a body of different parts working together in harmony. And this is the picture of the church. Uh, and so that's what we're going to spend uh, a number of weeks considering and learning and trying to, to, to glean from this uh, what we are to be, what, how we're supposed to live, and how we're supposed to act as God's church. So it's in this lens that we come to 1 Corinthians. And so... Um, let me give you a little background on the church in Corinth. It's always helpful. Um, you know, it's funny that we're, we're looking at the first nine verses of an epistle. Uh, and a lot of times, I know for me, that it, sometimes it's like you just kind of speed past that and get to the, the bulk of what uh, the writer has to say. Uh, it's like greetings. Hey, you know, I'm Paul. I'm from this place. And, you know, grace to you. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but what we'll find is nine verses at the beginning have a lot of depth and a lot of meaning in there, and it's, uh, we shouldn't run past it to the first meat of the text. So again, Christian, uh, Corinthians. So the area that is Corinth, or that we call Corinth, or that you know, certainly they called Corinth in, in the time of Paul, you know, was uh, inhabited basically as far back as we can measure. Uh, you know, obviously we know 
if life started in Eden, eventually had to get there, but basically we can look at uh, fossil records and things and, you know, they start saying stuff like it goes back to like, you know, 9 million BC or whatever, but uh, it goes back a long way, right? There was people living in this place. Uh, in about the 8th century uh, BC, uh, Corinth began to develop as a commercial center. In ancient Corinth was one of the largest and most important cities in Greece, which was, you know, one of the, you know, the important civilization of the time. Uh, it was an ally with Sparta in the Persian and Peloponnesian Wars, and uh, then when the rule of ancient Rome came, Corinth became an administrative capital uh, within the province of Achaia. So it, it's, it's an important city. It was a big city when, you know, 50 to 90,000 people meant it was a big city. Uh, and so um, we have the map here. So Corinth sits on this uh, little piece of land called an isthmus. You know, it's a connection of a main body of land to uh, another body of land between two bodies of water. Uh, there's your geography lesson for today. But um, you can see it's right here on this spot where ships, if they were coming from Italy or the other parts of Europe, they try to cut through to where Corinth is, and uh, they, the spot of land there is only about three and a half miles wide. Uh, and they would actually put boats on the land and like tow them across uh, because that was easier than sailing all the way around the other side. So before there was a canal, they would just put the boats on land and roll it. But then eventually, uh, much later, they built a canal. And I think that's a cool picture of it. Uh, it looks like a cool place to go see. Um, but it's a shortcut for shipping traffic uh, from parts of Western Europe to uh, Turkey and uh, the other parts of Europe. So all that to say that it was, there was people there coming from different places, and it was a kind of a crossroads of ancient uh, time. Had a mixed population of Romans and Greeks and Jews, and uh, we read in Acts that the Paul, Paul first visited there in about uh, A.D. 49 or 50, Years don't matter that much, but that's when it was. Uh, but he lived there for 18 months, Acts says, and he became, this is where he became acquainted with uh, Priscilla and Aquila, where he would make tents. Uh, we get that whole idea of tent making. And uh, they would go to the synagogue, and he would plead and, and um, teach the ethnic Jews there uh, about Jesus. And um, he wrote... Um, we have two of his letters in our Bible, in, in the canonical Christian Bible. Uh, it's estimated that there was as many as four different letters, and the, 1 Corinthians is actually probably the second letter, because uh, there's some clues in there that he's responding to a letter that maybe have come before. So we've got a few different things there, but, but basically there's an ongoing conversation between Paul and the church in Corinth that he uh, had been there with, and now he's gone, and he's writing back to them. So for context, this is what we've got. So he knows the people there, he's left, and now he's writing back to them to encourage and to um, give them guidance and kind of be this pastoral, uh, pastoral influence to the church from afar. So as we get in here, the church in Corinth, as we'll read over the next uh, several uh, weeks, um, but if you've read it before and you know what's coming, uh, the church in Corinth is a bit of a mess. And the people in the church in Corinth are a bit of a mess. Um, and over the course of reading through the letter, we'll find that Paul is addressing various concerns and various issues that he's been made aware of that is happening within the church. 
We have uh, divisions over leadership. We have uh, various forms of sexual immorality, uh, serious ones. Bringing, they're, they're bringing lawsuits against one another in the church, right? Instead of working out their differences, there's, they're actually bringing lawsuits against each other and bringing you know, non-Christian judges in to try to, to help them with that. They have various marriage issues. Uh, they're, they're divided over what to do about food. They, there's idolatry. There's uh, snobbery, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, in who can sit where and eat what food during, during the Lord's Supper of all times. Um, they're arguing over which spiritual gifts are better and if your spiritual gifts are better than my spiritual gifts are better than their spiritual gifts. Uh, and then they, they're arguing about how to worship. And, you know, should we, you know, I imagine, that, should we sing this song? Should we sing that song? Should we be upbeat? Should we use drums? Should we not use drums? All these things. There's a lot going on. And we'll spend the next couple of, of months exploring each of these in some depth. Uh, and so we can see what we might learn from the teachings and the encouragements uh, from Paul to the church. The reality is, and, and we can see this, is that the church in Corinth isn't unique. If we're honest, they're probably a bit closer to reality uh, for most churches uh, if, than we would care to admit. Uh, and the reality is the church in Corinth is probably a bit closer to reality for this church than we'd care to admit. Uh, we may have different issues. We may be better at keeping it to ourselves or, or, you know, keeping it under our breath. But the truth is, if Paul was our contemporary, we might receive a letter uh, telling us, you know, the things that we should lurk on. And uh, it would be fairly strongly worded, I would imagine. Uh, and so, you know, why is that? The truth is, what Corinthians speaks to are just some like basic truths, but the fact that people are messy, and because the church is made up of people, the church is messy, right? It's an unavoidable fact. You read 1 Corinthians, you can't read it and walk away and without being like, shush, that is, that is a mess, and thank goodness Paul was writing to them to give them some guidance, right, and, and get, get through it, and yet we have... Uh, the church and the people who make it up are the evidence of Christ's work. And so we're going to read about that, and we're going to look at what Paul has to say in the text. So I'm going to read it one, one more time for us, uh, and then we'll kind of we'll take, it, take a look at it. So let me read it one more time. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I will always thank God, uh, thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Jesus Christ. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Christ Jesus to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus. And God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's look at this. He starts, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And Paul looking at this mess of a church to whom he's about to write 16 chapters of admonishments uh, and, and sternly worded uh, um, 
things to this church, he looks at them, and before he does, he writes this introduction. He writes this thing that says, Paul is genuinely thankful that God has richly blessed the Corinthians with speech and with knowledge and with spiritual gifts. He recognizes what God has done in the believers in Corinth. And despite many problems and the many things that will come, he considers them gifts from God. And he says, here, the, the church is evidence of Christ's work. So let's consider, you know, the church, bigger church than, than this church in Corinth, but the church, let's consider the church today. When, when we say the church in 2023, many of us, certainly much of the world, the first things they think of are scandal, abuse, cover-ups, hypocrisy, brokenness, and sin. It's, it's easy, or it would be easy for us to lose hope, and it would be easy for us to want to give up. It, our church, big, you know, little c, global church, doesn't look a lot different than the church at the time of Corinth. Problems. And in fact, if we go back further, uh, we can read um, the prophet in Isaiah He's, his description of spiritual leaders in the southern kingdom of Judah, Isaiah uh, 28, 7 through 8 says, And these, talking about um, the priests and prophets, also stagger from wine and reel from beer. Priests and prophets stagger from beer and are befuddled with wine. They reel from beer and they stagger when seeing visions. They stumble when rendering decisions. All the tables are covered with vomit and there is not a spot without filth. The leaders who are entrusted with God's word are befuddled with wine, consumed by what they consume, and the tables are covered in their filthy vomit. What an image. No doubt a literal image of what was happening, uh, but certainly a metaphorical one of the cynicism and the filth and the things that are just being spouted uh, by the supposed leaders of the church. And the people of God, God's people have been sinful from the day we were locked out of Eden. And brokenness and sin and hypocrisy are as much a constant in humanity as anything else. But God. As we continue in Isaiah, we get to verse 16, which is only uh, a few verses later. And he stops and he says, So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. The reality is God has established another foundation for his remnant people, a sure foundation embodied in Jesus. And this is what Paul is talking to. Because of Christ's redemption, the church, even in its messiness, is beautiful. And the fact that the church, our church, any church, is filled with broken, hypocritical, sinful people isn't a flaw so much as it's actually a feature. Maybe the, the feature that makes the church the glorious institution that it is. Bear with me here. The church is filled with broken, hypocritical, and sinful people because it is filled with people. And this is the thing. God in his wisdom, a wisdom that our brains cannot comprehend, chooses that the way that he will be made known in this age is through his church. The same people, the same thing that we're reading here. 
and the same church that we read about in the news. That this is God's wisdom. This is the way God wants to be known. And, that, and, and so we look, and we, Ephesians 3.10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he, may, uh, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the church has a unique place in God's economy to show something about himself, not just to the world, but even to the angels in the heavenly realms. And you say, what does it show? That in spite of, or maybe because of, our brokenness and our unfitness, that it confirms the testimony about Christ. The sure foundation prophesied by Isaiah came true in Jesus. And the church in Corinth confirms, as Paul says, the testimony of Christ. A little preview of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul explains this there. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The mere fact that there is a church and that there are people in it and that we can be part of it is a testimony to the amazing good news of Jesus. God looked into the world full of people who had rejected him, embracing brokenness. This is us. We were embracing brokenness. We were celebrating sin. And he, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ died for sinners. Christ died so that you and I could be here calling ourselves the church. Though often failing, regularly imperfect, but so our lives may proclaim Christ and his redemption. See, that's the beauty of the church. It's not that we're right and perfect, but it actually shows who God is in accepting us in our unrightness and imperfection. If there were no broken people in the church, what would the message be? Who could come in? Not me. I couldn't be here. So this is the beauty of God, how God in his wisdom has made the institution that we call the church, and it says something about us, but it says more about him. So let me stop, pause briefly here. Uh, this is, I, I don't want to diminish the real atrocities and uh, problems that the church and people in the church have caused over the years and, and recently, uh, because there have been many. We, we condemn the sin and the brokenness and the things that happen in the church and under the name of the church, there's, there's no place for it. When, uh, when someone takes a position as a leader in the church, we are to submit to a higher level of accountability. Uh, James 3 says, uh, not many of you should become teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more harshly. So there's, there's no room for a leader in the church to abuse their power to do anything outside of it. And, and the fact that we have this epistle is, God, is Paul, uh, through the words, saying that, saying, look, you've got to change. You've got to do better. Uh, and he says later, he, in, this, in this letter, he says, wake up from your drunken stupor and do not go on sinning. And so just as God does, we hate the abuse. We hate the lies. We hate the lustful domination. Uh, and when these cases emerge, we should be angry. 
and we should seek deep renewal. And we can't let it go on, and we must speak against it, and we must do something, but it doesn't change that the church itself, the, the long, big piece of the church, is God's, and he loves it, and he died for it. And so, um, hear that from me, that it's, it doesn't diminish. It's, those are real, and we need to stop, but the church is worth it. So, coming back. Uh, people are messy. The church is messy. But the church is God's, and it's beautiful, because it shows who he is. And he doesn't stop there. Paul keeps talking. He continues to tell us. He goes on in verse 4. He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ Jesus among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ. In every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and knowledge, and that you're not lacking any gift. And God has given us everything we need, right? The beauty is he didn't just leave us there, redeem us and save us, that he's given us now what we need to go on. As individuals, as the church, uh, as individuals, God has given us the ability to know him, know about him and be known by him. He's given us the ability that, of that knowledge to then speak and proclaim him. And he's given us spiritual gifts to make him known and build up the church and the community around us. As a church, he's given us all these different gifts so that the body may be built up and that there's no gift that we lack. Can you believe that? You lack, do not lack any spiritual gift. Do you believe it? That he's, he gives us each other for accountability, for encouragement, and all the things. This is part of his design. So it's not just that the church is a mess, nor is it that only God has redeemed it and saved that messy church through Jesus, but then he gives us what we need to grow in knowledge of him and to know him, to speak rightly of him and proclaim him to the world, to build up, to encourage, and to comfort. And finally, we keep reading. It says he's faithful, and his promises will keep us to the end. Uh, starting in verse 8, he will keep you firm to the end, so that you will be made blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, and he's called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We need not worry because Christ has called us. He will keep us firm to the end. In Jesus, we will be blameless on the day of our Lord, and he's faithful and called us into his fellowship. Praise God. Amen, right? This is huge. He's not leaving us. So, while people are messy, and the church is messy, God has intervened. He's made possible our redemption through Jesus. And then he gives us everything we need to, to be the church. And then he promises to stay by our side the entire time, all the way to the end. I mean, are you encouraged, church? Like, this is what God has done. Are you encouraged to be the church in spite of all the things that seem like mess that we just, you know, would rather not exist, we can be encouraged because this is our great gift, to be redeemed individually and to live it out collectively, and for that to be the witness and the confirmation of God's wisdom and love and kindness 
to us in the world, right? This is how he's making himself known through us, little old us, broken, messed up, not right, trying hard, getting it wrong. And yet, this is the thing that he's using. He's chosen to use this, Redeemer and the churches that are around the world. So what should we leave you with today? Two things I want you to take away. Let's, let's, let's have a right view of ourselves. And I say that we, we are saints. Paul calls us saints. Redeemed and being sanctified in Christ Jesus, having been given everything we need. As 2 Peter says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us his own glory and goodness, called us by his own glory and goodness. So we can have this, this is the right view of ourselves, but not because we think of ourselves too highly, but because we recognize who we were and how we still fall short and how God in Christ has loved us and given himself for us and given us what we need for life and godliness, right? We can see that. We can understand who we were and we can understand who we are in Jesus and go on. And so let's, let's be optimistic about the church. And I went back and forth on how to phrase that, but I think this is it. Let's be optimistic. The church shows the manifold wisdom of God, not because it's perfect, but because of what Christ has done. As Jesus says in Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So let's let us look and see where there's brokenness and sin amongst us and amongst the church. Let's not run from it, but face it head on. The church is worth it. Let's continue building the church until he returns. Jesus died and he rose again for it. It's his bride. He is committed to her. Shouldn't we be as well? Faithless though she may be at times, corrupted and brutal, he will bring beauty from the ashes. He brings life out of death because this is who he is and what he's always doing. He loves to redeem and to renew and he loves the church. So as the band and the prayer team come and start getting into their spots, I, I just want us to think as we go into this moment of prayer to think about it. Let's, let's spend the next few moments praying for the church. We can pray for the global little C Catholic church, you know, the connected church around the globe. We can pray for our local church called Redeemer Queens Park. Lord, guys, pray for its leaders. Pray for us. Pray for those who've been hurt in various ways by the church. Pray for those who have done the hurting for those who feel like they've been abandoned in various ways, that God would clean and purify his bride as he promises he will do. So I'm gonna pray, they're gonna sing, but there'll be some time. If something is on your heart and you want to just spend a little bit of time, you know, praying out loud, getting, you know, being encouraged by someone to pray with you, come up and pray it. Don't hold it to yourself. Like we can pray together and, and do this. We want to pray with you and for you. If you are one that has this trouble, like embracing the idea of the church because of a past hurt or a past failing, come pray with us. We, we wanna be with you. We wanna walk with you through it. We don't want you to leave thinking that that's the way it is, that it has to be a certain way. Come, come talk to us. So let me pray.
God, our Father, into your hands we place the church today. We as your church, even though broken, failed, sinful, God, we give you all that we have. Would your spirit fall on us afresh today? God, we know nothing is impossible for you. You use our imperfections to build a kingdom worthy of your name. You've done it in the past. God, come and do it again. Challenge us to use our skills and gifts uh, to serve you most effectively, to serve our brother and our sister unselfishly. God, would you give us a love for your church that mirrors the love that you have for her? Would we seek its good and health so that it may display your goodness and kindness to a world needing another way? Father, in your infinite wisdom, would you cut, would you prune and remove anything that's in us that is not of Christ? We want to abide in you alone. Revive your church, we pray. In Jesus Christ, amen.